Good morning, Baka. <sighs> Hi, Jess. I see you got a whole new outfit for the new job. Do you like it? I love this blue blazer. The whole outfit just screams feminine authority. <laughs> now, I really am a princess. With all those crystals you bedazzled it with, it definitely screams something. I like the Clark Kent style eyeglasses. And is that another wig from Carone? Yep. Before she left, she rummaged through her closet and found another one of her old Astromino wigs. And she said I could have it. It had a bunch of mats from the jewelry that she put in it, but I was able to take them out with a little bit of work. I guess someone has to fill the blue-haired female authority figure void left on the island. Today's your first day, right? Hi! And I want to deliver a special message on the air sometime to let everyone know to come visit Monster Island. I am the director of tourism, after all, and we need to drum up new business. Mr. Winter is very determined to make us the vacation destination again. He'll do anything to make money. Yeah, but it's good for all of us. We work here. I know, I know. It's just... Uh, something doesn't seem right. Maybe the island needed a brilliant businessman to pull it out of the hole the board dug it in last year, but I'm having even more doubts that Winter was the right candidate. What's going on? I'll explain after work. Let's just say for now, I have reason to be suspicious, and Dr. Tatopoulos agrees with me. According to the useless knowledge that I inherited from you, they have a long history. Boys. Speaking of boys, what's going on with you and Gary? Oh, uh, nothing. Really? Really? Okay. But so bad if there was? What? I'm a girl who's never been in love and desperately hoping that Senpai will notice me. A delicate flower who has just started to bloom and never been held in a man's strong hands. Plus, I am just now in my very young life discovering how much I like boys. And I need to shove out the gross memories I got from you about your exes. Ick. <laughs> it was Valentine's Day recently, Baka, and thankfully I didn't inherit your hatred for the holiday. Let's not go there. All I'm saying is, Gary's a good guy, but I don't think he's a good match for you. Who says I like him? I never said that I did. Do you? I don't know yet. Good Godzilla, this is what happens when I have a twin pseudo-sister who was literally born yesterday. Well, actually, it was almost two years ago. My birthday is in July, remember? That not only doesn't help your case, it makes it ten times weirder. Says the guy who got shot into space by his supervillain bosses. Point taken. But I'm also here because you're having my favorite person on for my favorite movie about my favorite monster. Yes, I know. Bex, Mothra, and Mothra. <laughs> and Mr. Gold scheduled the Shobajin's weekly visit to the island on my broadcast day for the occasion. I love it. I love it! That's Mr. Gold reminding me that I need to be in the office in 10 minutes. Can't be late on my first day, you know. You watch yourself around him. He's a sexual harassment lawsuit waiting to happen. Then it's a good thing I'm a magical superheroine. 
who knows a really cute... Uh, I mean, a good lawyer. Freudian slip much? I only know what that is because we kind of have the same brain. And yet... Shut up or I'll turn you into a newt. I get better. God, you're the worst! I'll bring the Shobajin here when they arrive. Maxie! Oh, I wish I could stay and talk, but do me a favor and punch Baka in the face. Arigato! Okay. Um, what was that about? To quote the doctor, I'll explain later. We have a show to do first. Live from the KIJU studios in beautiful Ogasawara, this is The Monster Island Film Vault, episode 59, Mothra 1961, featuring Becky Beck Smith. Hello, Kaiju lovers, and welcome to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu. I am your host, the film curator here on Monster Island, Nate Marchand, and today we're getting back to Godzilla Redux, because yes, in my previous podcast life, I covered all the Godzilla films, but you know what? I can do it better. This is one of those rare instances where the remake is better than the original. Yeah, I said it. Could you even call it a reboot? Oh, okay. See, Jimmy agrees with me. It is a reboot. That's what we're doing here. But you know, another reason that this version is even better, the guest I have with me today. I have with me today the host of the Redeemed Otaku podcast and my pseudo-sister's best friend, apparently, the magical fangirl, Becky Beck Smith. Well, hello there, Nate. Thank you so much for inviting me back to the island. Yeah, it only seems appropriate at this point, considering you made your Monster Island debut talking about the 90s Mothra films. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yes, that's right, that's right. Uh-huh, yep, yep. Yeah, 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 and we had, a, we had an interesting time when that was all going on. You, uh, oh, it was very memorable. Very uh, memorable. Yeah, yeah. You were, you were a little upset that you were a filler. That was probably one of my favorite moments <laughs> from that. <laughs> right, right. I'm yes. filler! <laughs> <laughs> yes, but we all know that filler, you don't skip filler because some important character arc and development can happen during filler. Yeah, and how so many... never skip the filler. And how many otakus actually agree with you on that? It doesn't matter how many agree. It's just the truth, all right? Oh. Truth, truth. Well, feelings don't matter. Your opinions don't matter about truth, okay? So, yeah. Truth is truth. <laughs> well. <laughs> bam. <laughs> Jimmy's impressed. Just uh, laying uh -huh. down the law right here. <laughs> Be Bex, the final authority on how to watch anime, apparently. That's it. That's it. So. Well, dang it. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other thing that happened at that time is I was gifted, I suppose you could say, with a 
pseudo sister. That was interesting. It's the Very last time I te- that's the last time I test a teleporter for you, Bex. I love you, <laughs> but no more teleporter testing. We have basic- all right, all right, we have basically fine. left that thing buried, and rightfully so. <laughs> no so, more teleportation. That's fine. That's yeah, fine. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's funny you did. It's it hasn't it been all that long because you were just here right before Christmas, actually. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, it's for Gamera the Brave. But now we're getting, like I said, getting back to the roots with Mothra, specifically Mothra 1961, the original Mothra movie. Yes, <laughs> yes. And I, I, I just want to say uh, up front. Even though I saw this a bit later in my kaiju fandom, because it was a little bit harder to come by compared to other things, I saw Mothra in the Godzilla films before I actually saw this one. And uh, spoiler warning, I'm actually very fond of this one. In fact, I'm sure you've heard me talk about this fellow before, but Shinichi Sekizawa, who was one of Mm -hmm. the go-to screenwriters at Toho, I read in one of the essays that I researched for this episode... It was in David Callett's book, actually, and he actually is quite the admirer of Shinichi Sekizawa, and he considers Mothra to be Sekizawa's masterpiece. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Yeah, and that, and it's easy to see. So before we dive right into this, Bex, because as usual, I do more research than anyone should do for any of these movies. I think I read through excerpts of about 10 different books. I'm, uh, wow. Not to brag too much, but good Lord. And that's wow. not including the notes I recycled from my previous podcast life. So, <laughs> yes, Jimmy, more fodder for your blog. <laughs> I hope you're happy. Well, before we get started. <laughs> oh, oh, Jimmy, yes. Well, you see, I got here to the island kind of, on my own. You know, I I just couldn't wait. There are other means of getting to the island, you know, without without having to have you transport me and teleport me and all that. So there are there are there are creatures and ways and and vehicles that have wings, too. So I felt that I could could make it on my own today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for, you know, for offering and, and uh, I'm I'm here now and I'm ready to go. Okay. Yeah. That was, that's interesting. I did uh, my apologies. I'm a terrible host. I forgot to ask how you got to the Island because Jimmy's got ways. Apparently he never does it the same way every time as Mm -hmm. you found out actually the last, you know, the, the last couple of times you were here. So Okay, Jimmy. Uh, I guess she. Uh, I guess the the invitation got lost in the inbox. Uh, you know, something like that. I guess so. All right. I, c- I couldn't wait. I just had to get here. Okay. As soon as you said Mothra, I just had to get here. Well, of course, of course, because I mean, I got you on here for the trilogy because I said magical girls. It's, it's yes, <laughs> that's like a yes. dog whistle with you. You're just like I just say magical girls. You're like where? <laughs> Let me watch. Yes. 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 Now, before I was interrupted by my intrepid producer over there, I was going to ask you, Bex, to give us a little plot synopsis for this film. Why, sure. I'd be happy to. 
So we have an island, a mysterious atomic island that a boat crashes on. We have some survivors that mysteriously survive the radiation. And so they go back to the island to find out how they survived because they alluded to the fact that there were natives. And this was supposed to be an uninhabited island. Oh. And guess guess what? They find some natives. They find two teeny tiny little ladies that they take back with them because the, the, the guy, he thinks he's going to to um, exploit the miracle that is the little ladies. And, well, the little ladies, called the tiny beauties, the Shobajin, they emit sound and song that alert the beautiful, lovely Mothra and awakens him to help and save them. So then Mothra comes and cannot be stopped. Oh, That's true, Jimmy. You referred to Mothra as him. It's actually a her. That's a little bit of a misnomer because these m- movies never get translated quite right, whether they're subbed oh, or dubbed. Oh, interesting. Mothra okay, is always okay. female, unless it's Mothra okay. Leo. Mothra Leo. Okay. Mothra Leo is male. All right. Well, sorry. My apologies. My apologies. So, yes, Mothra cannot be stopped and is dedicated to saving the tiny beauties. And so then the reporter and translator that were on that original expedition to the island come up with a brilliant plan to attract Mothra to an airfield and reunite them with the tiny beauties. And they succeed and fly away and bring peace to Tokyo and to Rulisica once yes. again. Yes, and everyone is happy, especially new everyone in New Kirk City because... <laughs> Except poor Nelson. Well, Nelson ended up kind of dead. <laughs> <laughs> Was anyone bothered by that? I'm guessing no. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that was actually very good. Very good. There you well, go. Thank it's you. like thank you've you. it's like you've been at this for a while. Like you're you know, a semi pro podcaster. Yes, I am working on it. I am working on it. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. I mean, I know your show is still uh, kind of on hiatus, but you know, it doesn't look like you've got all that much rust, shall we say? Some <laughs> cast rust, pod rust. I don't know what the proper term is. Uh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you came and watched this with me today, you know, in my uh, wonderful little screening room, this actually wasn't the first time that you had seen this. You had seen this before, actually, in conjunction with the the first of the '90s trilogy, because I recommended you watch that as a little mm-hmm. bit of a point of reference. You had not seen those Mothra movies before, so Correct. now having seen it a couple of times now, what are your initial thoughts? on this hmm my initial thoughts <clears throat> i thought it was pretty interesting that we have a whole nother race of human-like people the tiny beauties that kind of got introduced into this movie because the the original or not the original the reboots you know you you had mentioned they were more like magical girls and so mm-hmm. there was kind of a little bit of mythology behind that one mm-hmm. this one it was just more of a mystery like we don't know anything about them in fact there's the handsome nelson he uh had some sort of cloth handsome. you know like a map or something um, so there might be a little bit of mythology that they had kind of 
wanted to dip their toes into with this movie, but they didn't really elaborate on it. Oh, trust me. There was. There was. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> the, okay. uh, I mean, if you ever want to hear more of it, I'm sure that because, you know, you've met the girls before. They uh, they had to help you out a little bit mm. the, when, when mm. you came here before. But and, you know, they are also friends with your bestie, apparently, my pseudo sister. Uh, oh, boy. But anyway, <laughs> you and all of your little obsessions with these bugs. I'm just saying. Uh, but anyway, only, only the ones of the Lepidoptera. Order. God, this yes. is true. This is true. Mm-hmm. That was very fancy of you. And you think I would know what that meant after hanging out, hanging out with the scientists here on Monster Island. But anyway, there was a whole mythology I don't know how many people know this, but this actually kind of has literary origins. Kind of. Okay. Basically, the powers that be over at the studio, and supposedly, and one of the sources I read said that special effects wizard Eiji Tsuburaya apparently saw Mothra in a dream. Mm. And then they decided, we need to make a movie about a giant insect. And so they commissioned several actually uh, several writers to work on this for them and depending on which translation you look at it was called something like the glowing fairies and mothra mothra and the luminous fairies or something like that it was a serialized novel published in weekly asahi by three different authors that named Hmm. shinichiro nakamura takahiko fukunaga and zene yoshi hata and it was really different. <laughs> there was a whole complex mythology that was in there that had to do with a god and a goddess coming together and birthing the Mothra egg and then birthing smaller eggs with smaller Mothras. And then the goddess tearing herself in four pieces before the Mothra egg. And then those four pieces became the four fairies. There originally were four, not two. Okay. And so it was this this whole thing. And then screenwriter Shinichi <laughs> Sekizawa looked at that and said, that's a little too much. <laughs> said, nope. That's nope. a little much. Yeah, you can see a little bit of that because there's some sort of language and religion. And, you know, you, you have like sprinklings of this mystery. But Mothra is kind of more of just a, I don't want to say a force, but definitely connected with the fairies, which it's, I mean, the movie was enjoyable to go back to your original question, which, you know, my thoughts on the movie, it was enjoyable. Um, I really liked the human characters more so than like the monster and the, the fairies, because they felt just, they didn't have much character to them. Um, so it was definitely more the humans driving the story. Yeah. The, the- Shobajin, the twins in this are more like a MacGuffin, admittedly, mm-hmm. because they are what motivates Mothra to come ashore as right. the ugly turd worm, because that's how all of these start. The ugly turd worm, yes. <laughs> yeah, like they, it, the fairies, it could have been an inanimate object that they took from the island, you know, a stone or gem, you know, a statue or something, a or, you know, one of the plants that they had. Oh, the vampire into. plants? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I managed to get you here and start broadcasting 
before a certain plant-obsessed mad scientist on the island got wind of it or else he would have been calling up to tell us about the vampire plants because I'm sure he studied one of them in his basement with all the Matongo. Ah, yes, yes. Yeah, and uh, he's harmless, but he's a weirdo. Mm. Just Mm. saying. Okay, okay. So, anyway. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, the movie was good. Is this the first time you see Mothra, or do you see Mothra in a Godzilla movie This is Mothra's very first appearance. Okay, okay. In fact, Mothra is unique because... She spun into the Godzilla series and then out of the Godzilla series. Okay. She had her solo film here, then was Mm -hmm. in several Godzilla films. And then in the 90s, got her own movies again. Which is the Rebirth, yep. Yep, the the Rebirth trilogy, yeah. Very good, very good. Yes. But yeah, but as I was saying, yeah, the the fairies, like I said, they're kind they're basically a glorified MacGuffin. And I found some very interesting commentaries, such as why I, uh, I will offer a defense of how they're used in this, but they are much more proactive and much better characters when they show up in some later Godzilla films. In fact, they come back for three more in the 60s okay. as part of the Showa series. They come back in, obviously, in Mothra versus Godzilla, and then they come back in Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, and then... They show up again, played by different actresses. In the, it has two different titles: Ebera Horror of the Deep or Godzilla versus the Sea Monster. Okay, okay. What makes the uh, what makes them unique in this is that even though they're supposed to be twins, this is the only time. Well, other than I, I think only in the '60s are they actually played by twins. Okay. In the other films, they're not played by twins, and. So for a lot of people, this version played by the Peanuts, that is actually their name. They were actually, they were sisters. They were twins and they were a singing duo Ah, and very, very popular. (laughs) Okay. Very, very popular. In fact, some of the people who worked on the movie attribute the movie's success because good Lord, this was a smash at the box office. I was just going to ask you. Yeah, I was just going to ask you how successful it was. Oh, it were popular. Oh, it sold almost as many tickets as the original Godzilla. Okay. Yeah. So it was popular because they had the peanuts in there. That's Um, what they attributed to partly to that. Okay. So then when they come back and they have more character to them, that will be interesting to watch. Yeah. Mothra versus Godzilla. That's the one you want to look for. They're still played by the peanuts. Good. Good. Their stage names. It wasn't their given names, but their stage names were Emmy and Yumi Ito, and they're not related to Jerry Ito, who played Nelson. I don't quite remember their given names offhand, but for what I remember reading, their given names in Japan in Japanese means sun and moon. Oh, okay. Interesting. And uh, they were ridiculously popular, and they actually had a flash of international fame, actually because of this movie, and they made a an album in the United States for Columbia records. If you scour YouTube, you can even hear them singing a, I think they're singing jingle bells in English. <laughs> nice. Nice. And uh, they were so popular for, you know, that hot second that they actually got to appear on the Danny K show and Ed Sullivan. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was a pretty big deal. And obviously you get to hear them sing in this. So they were tapped in for that. And they were very young. They actually celebrated their 20th birthday while working on this movie. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it was a big deal. So tell me more about the Shobajin. Do they have any sort of power over Mothra? They are telepathic. Okay. And obviously they can communicate with Mothra from very, very far distances until you put a magic anti-telepathy shield on their Yes, some synthetic material. What is that? This synthetic material (laughs) (laughs) blocks all sorts of waves. Notice the brain waves from our test subjects. (laughs) (laughs) It blocks brain waves from tiny girls. Okay. You you know anything about that, Jimmy? Oh, NASA dabbled in it for a few minutes after that was uh, after that that happened. Well, of course you would know that. Did they find any so, practical application for it? Of course not. All right. So so tell me, so tell me, Jimmy, do do you by chance happen to have any of this synthetic material on the island? Really? You mm-hmm. might have a bit of it. Interesting. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> uh, you Excuse okay me, there? Yes. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. The 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 altitude of you know when I was when I was getting over here the altitude kind of messed with uh, my okay <clears> okay my yeah, I'm guessing you flew. Sorry. Yes. Yes. I did fly. Yes. yes. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. I think good to know. Uh, just a quick reminder before uh, before you leave today, do make sure to say hello to Jessica. She's been waiting for you quite anxiously. For the last probably Absolutely. two weeks. I would never, I would never deny that meeting. Yes. 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 We'll, yes. I'll be sure to say hi. Yes. yes. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So, but I will say they get better as characters. They get more proactive in this one. They don't, you, you, you don't get to hear them speak a lot when they initially try to communicate. They make the funny tones, mm-hmm. but then you Which, can. Which by the uh, way, when I watched it the first time, I didn't pick up on that. Ah. Watching it the second time, then I heard the like organ type music coming through, and I'm like, "Oh, that's the sounds that the Shobajin are emitting." Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And later on in Mothra versus Godzilla, Ghidorah, the three headed monster, they are much more proactive characters. They mm-hmm. take initiative, and they are not the ones that are the objects <laughs> that are trying that are you know being kidnapped. In right. fact, in Mothra versus Godzilla, even though uh, there's a, another unscrupulous dude who tries to buy them, that lasts all of three seconds. And then the main thing he's trying to do is he's trying to exploit Mothra's egg. And as you can imagine, that's not going to go well. <laughs> ah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then in Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, interestingly... Apparently, they got a little okay with show business because they actually go on a TV show. Oh, well, as you do. Yep, they go on a TV show and (laughs) they tell everybody how Mothra was doing and things like that. And then they hang out with a princess who claims that she's from Venus. Yes, Jimmy, I know that triggers you a little bit. Still don't know how you fixed Venus after it blew up after the war in space. You're going to have to explain that to me sometime. (laughs) This guy, I'm telling you. 
that autobiography that he says he's working on is going to be quite possibly the best work of fiction ever. <laughs> oh, calm down. You heard me. You heard me. Anyway. How many volumes will it be? <laughs> oh. oh, okay. All right. Oh, I'll be uh, anxious to read it. <laughs> oh goodness anyway <laughs> so i know uh, after watching the 90s movies this version of the shobaji might seem a little less impressive by comparison mm-hmm, <laughs> a little mm-hmm. less magical girly but they did still sing sing the song so yes, yes the song the song uh, it's which is interesting because this didn't actually have the usual composer it's not akira fukabe it's a guy named Koseki, okay. and his musical styling is different, to say the least. And mm-hmm. the story has it that Fukabe was either too busy with other projects or he felt like he couldn't write music for the Shobajin, for hmm. the Peanuts, because they were a pop music duo, and he's used okay. to doing more orchestral sort of stuff. And also, okay. it's interesting if you notice most of the of the score for the movie is played for things related to the twins and the Islanders and Mothra. Mm-hmm. You don't hear a lot when it's the other stuff. When it's the humans, yes, or our main okay. characters and things like that, which mm-hmm. is kind of done on purpose. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of I, like I said, I've found a lot of interesting essays that talked about what the Shobajin represent and they're like there's whole things going into how the Shobajin relate to basically the Japanese culture's attitude toward women in the 20th century from like the Meiji era on and how the Shobajin were kind of representative of a shift in Japanese culture when it came to women because up until World War II basically the mantra was basically like I might be misquoting what I had in my source, but it was a good wife, wise mother, basically. Okay. And then you had some women, they, they called them mogas or modern girls. They were kind of like flappers in the United States in the 20s oh, and 30s. They were sure. really countercultural, trying to push back against that. And then there was all kinds of things that changed during the war and then the occupation and all kinds of things. And there was more equality and... Uh, all being afforded to them. So the Shobajin, in a way, are, as one of the sources I looked at put it, were representing the, the modern Japanese woman where they are more mobile, but they're also still being held back. Because you could hmm. make the argument that what Nelson is doing, which just makes him even more despicable, was basically human trafficking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess you could say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like I said, there's all of this stuff going in there and how these girls are very closely tied to nature and spirituality and because that was that was a very Japanese sort of idea, connecting the feminine with the natural mm-hmm. and you know, and then connecting and then by extension, because Mothra is a very natural creature, she's not a mutant or some creature from a bygone era like a dinosaur and mm-hmm. Mothra is a natural creature and is uh, also very feminine in you know, very feminine herself and so the girls are connected to nature and by extension to the monstrous it's kind of a King Kong thing there's a lot of King mm-hmm. Kong 33 in this movie 
Okay. So they act as the, the later on, especially they act as the, the representatives of Mothra because they are her priestesses. And, sure. and in this, they're the conduit. Only they can communicate with Mothra. So we're getting to the song. <laughs> the thing that's genius about that scene is first off, seeing what Nelson does with the girls by putting them in these little princess outfits and having them fly in on a carriage in these <laughs> stage shows and making them sing. It's incredibly disgusting and exploitative. Mm -hmm. But then the irony is they sing this native song for the audience with all of this pomp and circumstance. It's, it's a whole number with dancers and choreographed dancing right, and all of right. that stuff. Reenactors. Yeah, which is funny because then they that's interwoven with scenes of what's actually happening, happening on, on the island. On the island yeah. And it's yeah. And you could tell that the stage version is sanitized. Yeah. <laughs> Very sanitized. They weren't drinking some sort of mysterious red liquid. <laughs> oh, they were, which is why that they can't be hurt by the radiation. And then no, I mean the the stage, the stage. Oh, no, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's yeah. that's, oh, that's true. And God only knows what would have been in that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, they're singing this song, and it's the iconic song of Mothra, Mothra song, whichever, however you want to translate it. And Nelson and the audience think, oh, it's just a, a native song that they're performing for us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Nope. 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 That Let's is their it. prayer to their goddess to come get them. Yep. <laughs> but you don't know that. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of brilliant, actually. Yes, it is. It is brilliant. Yeah. Which is why they have to develop that box from the synthetic material. Yes. To cut off their communication with Mothra. So, yes, that's why they had to do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I know the last one, well, one of the previous times you were here, when you had apparently converted to Mothrianity, that was a weird time in mm, your life. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very weird time. You memorized the song, but did, uh, did you ever look up the lyrics? I, I, I don't think I did, no. Well, I mean, I or at least uh, what I mean is the translation of the lyrics, I should say. Obviously, no, no. you knew them in Japanese. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. But I didn't, didn't read what the lyrics yeah. meant. Yeah. Now, what's a, what's a little bit confusing is that I've looked at several sources that give different languages for what it was written in the song, because some say it was written in Malay, some okay. say it was written in a combination of Japanese and what was called, I think it was Bahasa, which is the official language of Indonesia. But when you hear it in the '90s movies and beyond, it's in Japanese. Okay. They kept it simple. But I do have a translation here. And you might be able to find some slightly different translations elsewhere. But the one I have here, which I got in a Best of Godzilla music album that I had okay. added to the film vault, it's translated like this. Mothra, oh Mothra, if we were to call for help over time, over sea, like a wave you'd come, our guardian angel, Mothra, oh Mothra, of forgotten kindness and ruined spirits, we pray for the people's spirit as we sing the song of love. Hmm. All righty then. So it is very much a prayer. <laughs> yeah. Which at the end, well, not at the end, 
because they even quoted some of the, like the language that they, um, they reference the little inscription. Like you'll you see instances where some somebody's reading it to you, talking about how they're praying for peace and. and oh yes, uh, at the end. It. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, someone was reading to it, and that was a very Honda thing, because mm-hmm. Honda had a. Uh, what this is what's interesting about a Shiro Honda. A Shiro Honda had a very humanistic view on the world, and mm-hmm. was very much about peace. And unity, you'll see that that's a major theme in a lot of his films. About you know, he has the he likes stories about the world coming together to counteract some sort of larger threat, you know, whether that be like an alien invasion or something like that. Or there's these pleas for for unity. Mm -hmm. That's in Mothra versus Godzilla, actually, where because in that one the human characters go to Infant Island and have to talk to the Shobajin to get them to convince Mothra to help them against Godzilla. And the way mm. they do it is by appealing to the facts like we're human beings like all the rest of you. And how can you sit by and let innocent people suffer? You know, that sort of a thing. Mm, sure. And so the ending on that note, like I said, it was a very Honda thing to do. Well, it was, it was an interesting contrast between that and them standing at the church building <laughs> As they pass off the Shobajin to the reporter and the, who was, what was his name? Chujo? No, that was the scientist. The linguist. The scientist. The linguist. Yeah, the linguist. That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, Um, the the reporter was Zen. Snapping turtle. Yes. Or bulldog. Bulldog, yes. In the dub, he's bulldog. In the dub. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because he never lets go of a story. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was an interesting contrast between the religion, I guess, if you what if you want to call it that, Mothrianity. I mean, uh, just the the religion of Mothra and the Shobajin, and the religion of Christianity, because they had they were standing at the steps of the church. Yeah, and in they New see Kirk the cross City. image. Yep. Mm-hmm. They and then the they fig- and then they figure out that the glyph that represents Mothra looks like a cross mm-hmm. and they, cause they see the cross on the top of the church and it's yeah. got the sun behind it. And I read some interesting things that had some different interpretations of that. I, for, I neglected to mention. So Honda was a humanist, but he was also the son of a Buddhist monk. Mm-hmm. So he had a Buddhist upbringing and then you had A.G. Subaraya, the special effects guy who was raised Buddhist, but then converted to Catholicism. Yeah. So that's coming into this. And then, mm-hmm. so you have the glyph. It's a cross with kind of a, like a sun outline on it. And I, re- I read that, you know, it's representative of Christianity. It's also, but they all, some argue that it's more of a natural symbol and things like that. But hmm. probably more so in this film than any other film Mothra is in, there's a lot of potent spirituality and a lot of Christian symbology, which I know would be of interest to you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we've talked about how the natives and the girls Uh, offer prayers to Mothra. Let's talk about the natives. (laughs) Let's talk about the natives. (laughs) Cause we can't not Uh, talk about the natives. uh, Yeah. Well, uh, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. (laughs) I do want to mention the spirituality stuff here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but the, they have unwavering faith in Mothra, even when Mothra is just an unhatched egg. Mm-hmm. And the fairies, the twins, are never despairing. No matter how 
terrible things get, mm-hmm. they never despair because they're, they, well, they they're, know. they know Mothra's coming. Yep. They know Mothra's coming for them. Mm-hmm. And they're sad because they know that innocent people will be harmed. But because you know, Mothra is not evil, but she is very single minded. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> very, very single minded. Mm-hmm. Like, I yep. want my girls. What are you doing with my girls? I don't yep. care if I have to plow through that boat. I'm getting my girls back. <laughs> yep. That's exactly, exactly it. Yep. Uh, which was revolutionary at the time. Sekizawa was already kind of changing how kaiju movies were made, and the kaiju movies were still pretty new at this time. But then he came along and he just completely flipped the script. Probably literally <laughs> making Mothra benevolent and feminine and Mothra doesn't die at the end. Mothra is not the villain or anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I said, completely flipped the script there. It's one of the reasons I admire Sekizawa quite a bit. Also, Frankie Sakai I should mention this too. Frankie Sakai, who played Zen, is a well-known comedic actor at the time. Okay. Didn't appear in a lot of Tokusatsu movies for, though. And he was purported, according to some of the sources I looked at, to also be a Christian, which is interesting because Christianity is not very common in Japan. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, Hmm. so you got all of these religious overtones and throughout this, and Mothra goes through a cycle of life and death, which has ties to Christian theology. Also, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, also has ties to Shinto and Buddhism. Right. So, you know, to point out some other examples of, uh, of some of the other spirituality stuff. So you have actual Christian priests who speak English in Newkirk city. Uh, yeah, that was, and, that was, that was fun to listen to. And I was, when I watched it in the Japanese was to hear the people speaking English. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, that was fun. Yeah. Most of the English speaking actors in this were not professional actors. They were, <laughs> it's kind of funny. They were expatriates living in Japan and they would just moonlight oh. as actors. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Which is why they usually only got bit parts and they weren't terribly great actors. Yeah, yeah. Huh. <laughs> like a lot most of them were like lawyers. <laughs> like my friend Raymond. Yeah. <laughs> Who just do some acting on the side, you know. Okay, okay. And uh, but so we had the Christian. Oh, you need an English speaker? Yeah. No, oh, yeah, we need a white guy. Uh, 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 we, <laughs> yeah. Hey, how about we get the lawyer? He's cheap. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But anyway, so you yep. have the Christian priests, and they talk about how with Mothra attacking, it's like everything is now in the hands of God, and we must pray. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, they, in one of the funnier bits, because one of the things is this is the other thing that was revolutionary is this movie is lighter. It's at points comical. It's at yeah. points satirical, and uh-huh. that was very different compared to these very dour, serious kaiju movies like the original Godzilla and Rodan, which I just talked about Rodan last month. Yeah, how very serious and dark they were. Mm-hmm. But Sekizawa's humor tends to be more subtle. It's not mm-hmm. slapstick. It's not broad humor. It tends to come more through, you know, like wit and uh, comical situations, and with a little bit of physical humor here and there. Sure, and sure. So you, if you notice, I don't know if you saw this. Yeah, Frankie Sakai, when they walk up to the church, he actually tries to cross himself, but he's like, oh, yes, I'm not doing I it right. Yes, I did notice that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing it right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I did notice that. I was like, oh, I see what he did there. <laughs> uh, yeah, which was funny. And then the church bells are what calms Mothra because they play 
basically the same tune that the Shobajin were singing. And that's how they yeah. figure the whole thing out. So you, they don't defeat Mothra by using military might or some sort of a super Even weapon. They tried. they tried, but obviously it never works. They solve the problem by just giving the girls back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of cracked me up the second time watching it. Um, how much armaments they were using against Mothra <laughs> also in the city within the city. They're like, we're just going to shoot all these rockets <laughs> Within the city limits, and well, you know, well, Rolissica. I've never been to Rolissica, but Rolissica is nuts. I'm just like, did do all the buildings in Rolissica just have artillery on top yeah. of them? Do they put artillery in all of the city parks? And then later on, we have plainclothes people who are running mm-hmm. around carrying machine guns. I'm like, what Those- kind of country is this? Yeah. <laughs> The only thing I can guess is they were trying to make it like a America or something. Actually, know. you are not far off. Because Newkirk City, I was like, Newkirk City, and then they show this bridge. I'm like, Newkirk City? <laughs> I think it's- you remember those commercials? Newkirk yeah. City? <laughs> this stuff's made in New York City. <laughs> uh, no, in this case, it's Newkirk City. But no, right. actually, here's the thing. Rolissica is actually a portmanteau of Russia and America. Okay, gotcha. So they were modeled specifically after the United States mm-hmm. and the Soviet Union. And you can see shades of all, of, like if you see the Rolissican flag, it looks yes. like yes. they took the stars it's and stripes. the moon and star. Mm-hmm. Yep, and the hammer and sickle and fused them together. Yep. And the, you know, the Newkirk City was modeled after New York, San Francisco, and L.A. In fact, they thought they were going to do some location shooting in L.A. That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And... So there's a lot of all of those put together because you got to remember this was the early 60s, the height of the Cold War, and Mm -hmm. Japan felt like they were kind of caught between the superpowers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, so they were kind of getting pulled in two different directions. They certainly didn't like the Soviets. Yeah. The Soviets actually were going to invade them had the Americans not occupied them. So they did not like them. And then there was there were island disputes with them and all kinds of things. But they also felt like yeah, the Americans were kind of pushing them around a little bit. You know, <laughs> they, they were kind of wanting to be their own country. And that streak just grew more potent as the decades went on. So you're not, like I said, you're not far off at <laughs> all about that. Well, I, def- f- I, I definitely got American vibes from Nelson and his attempts at, at capitalism, <laughs> capitalizing on it. Well, and that's also, you know, it's uh, this, uh, this capitalism and commercialism gets sat, gets satirized by Sekasawa even more potently a year after this in King Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, okay. So, the, and that was a, an important thing at the time too for Japan because they were just starting to experience the economic miracle and they were... In their economy was growing by leaps and bounds, but there were, you know, people like Honda and you know Sekizawa and all that were a little bit concerned about that and that huge economic growth, and they were a bit afraid of the very individualistic kind of American style capitalism that they were seeing, whereas mm-hmm. Jap- Japanese culture is more communal in nature, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Nelson kind of represents that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what a brilliant man. Uh huh, but well, the uh, Jerry Ito, the actor, certainly was. 
Oh quite, yes, that's that's film. what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah Gary Ito. Yeah, he was a brilliant actor. In fact, did you know he's he looks a bit Japanese, but he's actually half Japanese and he's actually American. Oh, okay. So he had to learn all of his lines phonetically. He had to learn his lines, okay. Phonetically, because he <laughs> Honda went on record as saying his Japanese is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, and so he was very well versed in stage acting and doing comedy. He's he oozes charisma at every yes. point as you can tell yes. he almost actually he does outshine the rest of the cast because they're more subdued by comparison but he never goes truly over the top he gets a little bit mustache twirly but never <laughs> too much yeah so let's talk about nelson i guess okay uh i was gonna uh, talk uh, i'll talk uh, i was another thing i was gonna bring up but i'll save that for later since we're on the topic of nelson so nelson okay yeah let's talk about nelson let's Clark talk about nelson, nelson. <laughs> yes so the scene that really kind of cracked me up was when they're on the island and he's zen is following him mm -hmm. and there's that you said that comedic element to this mm -hmm. movie comes in the and then in at that point where zen is kind of like a almost like he's a little bit of a bumbling fool yeah <laughs> yeah and he bumps his gun right into nelson's <laughs> like, face mask sure. <laughs> Uh, yes, Jimmy. He clearly does not know how to handle a firearm. No, no. <laughs> yeah, but Nelson's pretty interesting because he he he's not sure if he like should take Zen seriously as as a serious threat or just kind of dismiss him as the bumbling fool. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which is probably the brilliance of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. a very Honda esque kind of hero where. Uh -huh. <laughs> he's he's not some action hero he's just kind of a regular guy uh it, what's interesting is to he's actually a very positive portrayal of a reporter because you would think oh that, you're talking about zen now yeah oh, shit. well yeah let's okay well yeah, it's we fine keep, no we keep talking that's fine that's we no, i'm just saying he's a very positive fine. portrayal of a reporter when you would expect him to just be you know all about the story but he's like no we need to leave the island and the people and the people on there alone because they're you know we're trying to be decent human beings but anyway clark nelson bumping the gun yes yes nelson yes yeah i i liked him as a villain i thought he was brilliant he had some really good ideas may you know maybe taking a little bit too far but uh i liked a lot of what he you know brought to the movie and i thought he was a good a yeah. good villain i read in one of my sources that somebody described Nelson as Carl Denham meets Al Capone. Hmm. Carl Denham was the okay. director from King Kong who oh, that's found right. King that's Kong right. and brought him to New York. That's right. Like I said, there's a lot of shades of yeah, King Kong very, in this. Yeah. He was very, he was a little uh, hands-on with his uh, minions there. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently he owns a farm in Rolisica. <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah. we do see his home there a little bit. We hear cows in the background. We hear a lot of cows like, <laughs> right up against the house. <laughs> they wanted Meow. to make sure we heard those cows. <laughs> it just makes me think of that Godzilla gif that I saw circulating on social media for a while. That It was from one of the 90s movies where he's just stomping along and there's, cow there's a herd of cows in the foreground. And it just says, mooing intensifies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. But, I mean, you, you got to give him credit. He really thinks he can get away with all of this. He's He has that kind of a, oh, sure, Mothra, bring it on sort of a thing. Mm -hmm, mm 
<laughs> he definitely almost did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he knew the right people to get an anti-telepathy box. Yep. And if it wasn't for that old man in that very in his final scene as he's trying to wrestle with him, that old man kept him from getting away. Yeah. You know, he would have got he would have gotten away if it wasn't for that old man. Oh, that instead of you meddling kids, it's you meddling old man. That's right. That's right. <laughs> now, what did you think actually of his end there um because that was one of the other things that changed in the writing process okay so he he got he got shot by the authorities by the police uh, by the police yep i thought he was gonna meet his end with mothra but it didn't happen so i guess it surprised me it happened quicker than I thought it would. Like I thought he was going to get away with it and then Mothra would come and he would meet his demise that way. So it did surprise me. Mm -hmm. Well, here's a funny thing in the original story, the luminous fairies and Mothra mm -hmm. Nelson. This is kind of funny. It's, it's actually a little bit closer to what we see in the movie. He went to Rolisica and then got assassinated by a, a citizen who was angry at him for bringing Mothra wow. there. Wow. But then, here's the funny thing, because Columbia distributed this film in the United States. They had a, very, a good working relationship with Toho at this point. So, Sekizawa had this whole finale written that would have taken place in Newkirk City, and it was going to be this you know, big set piece, and it was going to be all crazy and epic and all of that. And then they said, okay, we're running out of money. You have to write a new ending. He's like, okay, okay, fine. So he toned it down. And then the here was the ending, the second ending that they were going to go with that supposedly that they did actually get started filming would have been more uh, low key and it would have involved. You remember how the kid got kidnapped uh, you yeah. know, at one point in the movie? The heroes wouldn't have saved him nearly as soon and they would have kept him as a hostage and then gone oh. up with the twins onto the top of a mountain and then Mothra would have confronted him on the top of the mountain. The heroes would have saved the kid. Mothra would have gotten the girls back. And then she would have blown him off of the cliff with wind from her yeah. wings. Because okay. she's like, you know, she's a literal kamikaze divine wind, you know, right, <laughs> these god right. winds. And so, and then he would have fallen to his death off the cliff. Well, funny story related to that. They had a dummy that they were going to use to film that scene. And apparently they, they threw it off, but then they got word, hey, Columbia is going to give us more money. You can go back to the original ending now. Like, oh, well, okay. Oh, okay. So then they just went back to the original ending because Columbia gave them, uh, you know, gave them some more money to finish the okay. movie. Well, funny story. Nobody went to go find that dummy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then I don't remember how uh, it didn't say how long afterward it was, but some hikers spotted the oh, dummy no. and thought it was somebody uh, and they thought oh, it no. was act an actual body. So they called in a rescue <sighs> for it. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine being, <laughs> being one of those guys and they go and they find it's like, it's a dummy. And I don't mean a I stupid person. <laughs> I hope they didn't have it monogrammed with their name, you know, their studio name on it. <laughs> I'm guessing if they figured out that it was from the unfilled, the unused ending, 
from yeah. opera. They probably did. Oh man. <laughs> That's too funny. That is, yeah, that is funny. So like I said, his fate changed a lot. And some people feel like that what we get in the movie is a little unsatisfying because it's mm-hmm. not Mothra doing it. How did you feel about sure. it? I could see that. I could definitely see that. It would have been interesting to see Zen take him down in some way. Yeah. Or or be involved in his demise. Maybe mm-hmm. not. <clears throat> maybe not outright kill him, but wrestle the girls away from him and then him fall off a building or something like that. You yeah, know? So I can see that. That, that would have been, yeah, that would have been satisfying too. Yeah. Cause our main characters aren't, uh, aren't involved. And so you can kind of tell mm-hmm. that the, this new ending was a little bit rushed, mm-hmm. just a tiny bit rushed. Although I have to admit that I was never really bothered by it. I kind of liked the irony of it where it's not Mothra or, yeah. Uh, or the main characters. It's literally his own people who just get fed yeah. up with him. Because the and, the way Rolissica is portrayed, they kind of go a little bit back and forth. Sometimes they're coming to his aid and saying, hey, he's one we'll of our citizens, our citizens and it's, yeah. and it's his property. And then other times they're like, We're, we don't want to have uh, anything yeah, to do with him. Yeah, he's kind of like screwing us up. Yeah, yeah we don't <laughs> want to have anything to do with him. So I kind of like the irony of his own people basically saying, you're the reason all this is happening. And then they're angry. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I can see both, both endings and be fine with either one. You know, if, if we had gotten the other, then I would have been fine with that too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's, let's talk about the man, the man of action here. The, uh, Zen. Zen. He was definitely a fun character as yeah. well. Yeah. I've read that a lot of, uh, some people like Khaled have said that Zen is very much like Sekizawa. The actual Sekizawa. Yeah. Like, Sekizawa was apparently quite the eccentric. Like, hmm. he was into animation. And, like, he tried to be an animator at one point. He actually directed his own movie in the mid-50s called The Fearful Attack of the Flying Saucer. And then he was, you know, he was a screenwriter now for Toho and would do things like show up to work, not in a suit and tie. He would show up in a formal kimono. <laughs> hmm. He was a little bit of a goofball, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was very much about simplicity and story. That's why he took all, all of that mythology stuff out, because he said, like, if there's if it's too complicated, then the audience will lose interest. <laughs> yeah, it would it would have bogged it down. Yeah, I it would have bogged it down. Mm-hmm. Bogged it down. So Zen, he's like I said, he's really fun. Frankie Sakai does a great job in this role. Yeah, kind of steals the show a little bit. Yeah, I would say. absolutely. He's the star for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the, I think my favorite bit with with Zen is when he is when he fights those bad guys about oh, you know, yeah. at one point in the movie, <laughs> and it's like the most the comical ruffians. kind of nonviolent way to beat the bad guys ever. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's like he accidentally wins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like he's trying to avoid getting hit and then he ends up hurting them. And yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They just all basically fall downstairs trying to hit him. Yep. They fall, they fall all over each other. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, ha ha. Yeah. (laughs) Snappy turtle never lets go of a story. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. But it's funny because he had no doubt in his mind that he was going to beat them. (laughs) because <laughs> he sent the linguists, you know, to go Chujo. talk to the girls. He's like, I'll take care of them. Chujo, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So he sent the linguist to go talk to the girls and he's like, I'll take care of them. So he had no <laughs> doubt in his mind that he could take care of it, but it's, <laughs> it was just a, he didn't really have a plan in mind. I think he was just a, <laughs> was just see what winging it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Best yeah. improv ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, like I said, he's uh, he's great. I don't know if I mentioned this earlier or not, but th- him being a reporter, that's, that's a very Sekizawa thing. He loved reporters. Reporters show up all the time in mm. his stuff. And mm-hmm. so Zen is just, well, he's not the first example, but he's probably, he's one of the best examples that Sekizawa has of these reporter characters. And it's a very positive portrayal, like I said, I think I said that before, of a reporter. He's not mm-hmm. being unscrupulous. He's trying to do right by everybody. And right. he decides, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't say anything. And then when he sees what's going on, he's like, we need to do something about this. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Chubby little yeah, fella was, gets to be a hero. He was great. He was great, yep. I wish we had seen a little bit more of the photographer. Like, I wish oh, he had been able Michiko? to go along on the, yeah, on the island and kind of be that straight man for... For Zen, that would have been good. A uh, straight woman, yeah. <laughs> straight woman, sorry, straight woman. <laughs> Busting your chops a little bit here. Sorry, must have been a long trip. <laughs> yes, yes. The altitude, the altitude, yeah. <laughs> the altitude, the altitude. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, and actually, she had a, a little bit more of a role in the previous drafts. She was not a photographer. She was actually Chujo's assistant. Okay. In a previous draft and also a protester. Hmm. She was protesting against Nelson and Rolisica saying that uh. she, he needed to return the uh, the twins. Mm-hmm. It was an unsuccessful protest, mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately. Right. But she was, that was something, and this might be a good way to get into that, unless you really want to talk more about uh, Michiko, but I've got some cultural stuff that goes along with that. Because the original draft of this was much more political. I liked her position. I liked her role in this one. I probably wouldn't have liked her so much as the assistant and the protester. I liked her in this one because she had that tenacity Mm -hmm. of being a photographer that I think would have played really well if she had been with Zen more often than we saw. Mm -hmm. She seems like she's one of the few people who could... (laughs) Put Zen in his place. Well, who could put him in his place, but who could also keep up with him? Yes, <laughs> because Zen mm-hmm. is just going all over the place. He's doing things like yeah. sneaking onto ships and smuggling mm-hmm. himself to the island when he yeah. shouldn't be yeah. doing that. But yeah. and she, yeah. see, when that scene happens, she's like, hey, where'd he go? Yeah. Where'd he yeah, go? I was kind of disappointed in that. I was like, oh, that would have been that would have been fun to have them together the whole time yeah except yeah. i think she probably if he had gone to her and said like i'm gonna sneak onto the boat she probably would have said zen no because mm-hmm. <laughs> she's the sensible one <laughs> she is the sensible one but i think zen would have talked her into it that's the thing probably well yeah i can mm-hmm. see that yeah i can see that zen would just be like oh come on it'll be fun and yep. stuff and and pictures. then and then and then once they find all the things that they find on Infant Island, then he could have been like, see, I told you. <laughs> well, that whole, it, actually, the movie, 
it, it ends on a bit of a joke and it's related to her because yeah. she's yeah. Uh, she's like, oh no, I forgot to take pictures. <laughs> she hasn't taken any pictures the whole time. And it's just like, Michiko, you have one job. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I thought that was great, and I wanted more of her. Definitely, that's that was my one thing that I would have liked to change in this movie. Yeah, is have more of her in there. Yeah, Honda was very fond of using triangles of main characters. So these three main characters, usually two men and one woman, and mm -hmm. in this one, it's Zen, Michiko, and Chujo. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> what do you think of the? Since we're talking about Michiko. Uh, what would you think of the scene when they meet Chujo? The mysterious Chujo didn't like his picture oh, taken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's one of the so funniest the scenes in the entire movie. It is good. It is good. The first time I watched it, I didn't realize it was the same guy that they were talking to in that scene that mm -hmm. ended up going with them throughout oh, okay. the whole thing. Like for whatever reason, I just I was like, "Oh, I don't know who this guy is. Why is he with them all of a sudden?" Yeah. <laughs> It's the, that that five o'clock shadow was just that. Yeah, thick. <laughs> it was. It was so drastic of a change. I could. <laughs> yeah. But um. So yeah, this time around, it was like, oh, okay, this is the guy. Oh, okay, I get it now. Mm -hmm. yeah. So Hiroshi yeah, Koizumi was the actor who played him. He was actually probably the most popular actor in this movie at this point. And see, I don't think he did much. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was. Uh, you know, okay, so he's a linguist. He he figured out the glyph thing and kind of brought all that together. But I thought he was a bit just boring <laughs> <laughs> compared to Michiko and Zen. Zen and then Nelson, yeah, yeah. He was just kind of a very drab and gray character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, funny thing is, is he actually comes back later. All right. Well, maybe he's better. Yeah, I don't he know. came back. He came back in a two thousand three movie. Playing, oh, it was okay. the same character, and it also had oh. Mothra in it. That's why he came okay. back. Okay. okay. Also features a scene where they make the Mothra glyph using school desks. Oh. And it has Mecha Godzilla. Well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. There we go. <laughs> most so what the the most exciting thing he did was nearly get killed by the vampire plant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, although, yeah. like I said, that first scene is really funny because he's like, "I don't want my picture taken." He's got the yes. newspaper up, and then and well, see, that's why it confused me because I, you know, he seems like a really intriguing character, and then as we go along, I'm like, "Who is this guy?" I mean, all he did was just get caught by some vines, and then <laughs> you know, it just it just didn't seem like a, the same character yeah, he from was, that yeah. first scene to the rest of the movie. Yeah, he was the guy that you needed to figure out all of the cryptic stuff. He was a stuff. smart guy. Yeah, yeah, the smart guy. Yeah. You get, he's got to figure mm -hmm. out all the things because obviously Michiko and Zen are not going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So he has to be the one to figure yeah. it out. So, but like I said, Honda liked using triangles of main characters it kept he thought it kept the story really focused and you know created a nice dynamic because he didn't like having an overabundance of main characters because he thought the the audience couldn't quite follow that along which is funny there's a lot of like i said really high caliber actors in this the editor that very mm -hmm. perry white kind of style yeah. editor mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> with his j jonah jameson moments j jonah jameson <laughs> yep mm -hmm. that was takashi shimura who was at one point actually considered the greatest actor in the world. 
Wow. Yeah. He was he was in the original Godzilla. He was in some Kurosawa movies like The Seven Samurai. If you ever want to okay. watch a movie that will just break he, your heart, watch yeah. Akiru. Oh my gosh, his performance in that is okay. nothing short of a powerhouse. Okay. All right. Noted. Yeah. Yeah. Take that down for me, Jimmy. Yeah. Thank wow. You. You've got Jimmy as your secretary now. <laughs> Jeez. Well, the only secretarial work you do for me is jotting down your notes that you so you can riff on me in your blog. <laughs> Oh, sure. At this point, I have quite the testicular fortitude from all your ball busting you do on me. <laughs> Sorry. That, you know, I keep gentlemen. forgetting I'm in I keep forgetting I'm in polite company. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well well let's talk about your cultural thing that you wanted yes, to you, Yes, you were, which actually were, relates back you to mentioned earlier. Yeah, which relates back to Machiko. Because like I said, she was she was at one point a protester, which is indicative of student protest. This was actually, like in a lot of the rest of the world, there were a lot of student protests going mm-hmm. on about various things in Japan, in the United States. In the United States, it centered around the Vietnam War. Yeah. Uh, some would even say that the depiction of Infant Island in this is indicative of escalations in the Vietnam mm-hmm. War, particularly from the United States. Or the nuclear bombings at the end of the war. Honda even said that the fact that there was that beautiful matte painting of a lush jungle in the middle of this wasteland of an island was meant to be this utopia in hell sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about the natives. I know you want to talk a little bit more about the natives. We'll get to that. But (laughs) the... A year before this, there was a renewal of the Treaty of Mutual Cooperation, which was actually signed between the United States and Japan in San Francisco in 1952, which basically officially ended world with the war. Okay. And it's the longest lasting treaty between two great powers since the 1648 Peace of Westphalia. It was to last a minimum of 10 years. So it was it was signed in 1952, and then it came up for renewal in 1960. And it was amended and then signed again on January 19th, 1960. Okay. And when it was submitted to the Diet in February 1959, it sparked a bitter debate over it, and there were violent protests, mm. including student protests. And they tried to prevent the passage of this so things like the Japan Socialist Party boycotted the lower session and tried to prevent the LDP. These are all Japanese political parties. There's a lot of political parties in Japan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Us Americans were used to, to there just being two. There are multiple in Japan. Mm-hmm. And these protesters had to be forcibly removed by the police. There were riots by students. And there was supposed to be a visit by President Eisenhower at this time, and things were so turbulent that he canceled his visit. Wow. And it forced the resignation of the Prime Minister. Wow. (laughs) Prime Minister Nobusuke Kishi, Hmm. before it got passed. Do you have on there what the treaty's about? It had to do a lot with Japan renouncing war and the United States... uh, taking care of a lot of things like their defense if they were invaded by other okay. countries and things. Like that. There was okay. a lot of stuff involved with it. The big thing, the what the protests were about, was over Article 6, which contained the Statute of Forces Agreement. And this allowed the U.S. to use facilities and bases in mm. Japan for combat purposes. 
in defending Japan. And a lot Mm -hmm. of that protest came from Okinawa, which had a lot of U.S. military bases on it. And that has a whole Mm -hmm. to do unto itself. (laughs) There was a lot of controversy surrounding the bases on Okinawa. And the Okinawans were annoyed with it because they're like, we're tired of everybody coming in and telling us how to do things. If it's not the mainland, it's the Americans. What the heck? (laughs) Right. But regardless, despite all of this, there was a lot of support overall for the treaty. Japan doesn't maintain an official standing army. So Mm -hmm. they appreciated having the U.S. protection in exchange for having the bases on Okinawa. And it also contributes much to the economy of Okinawa, although it is Japan's poorest prefecture. But a lot of like over 8,000, almost 9,000 people in Okinawa work at the bases and stuff like that. Uh, U.S. presence accounts for 5% of the economy. So there were some benefits from it, but it was a hotly debated issue. Mm -hmm. And to a certain extent, things like that in the Japanese constitution is still a point of contention in Japan. But Mm. that relates back to this because, like I said, the previous drafts of Mothra would have been more political in nature, featuring things like those protests, and it would have been even clearer that Rolisica was this stand-in for the United States, and that got toned down because Sekizawa was very apolitical. He didn't like putting stuff like that in there. His main focus was to make an entertaining story. And Mm -hmm. so including all this political stuff, you know, he, like I said, he took most of it out. It would have been too on the nose. It would have been too. Yeah. 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 And I know there are some people, some scholars that I looked at when they talk about this movie, they still think it has an anti-American slant. But their defense of it is that they said it's so broad, it's not offensive. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think I would quite use that terminology because I don't think anyone who worked on this was anti-American. Now, there's certainly some cultural sentiment where they're probably thinking, you know what, we would like to run things ourselves. Can we run things Mm -hmm. ourselves? That would be really nice. We don't necessarily want to answer to America all the time or rely on Mm -hmm. the Americans quite as much. But at the same time, they did like America. They liked the Americans and the Alliance. So I don't think any of the people who did this were trying to make an anti-American movie. Sure. I prefer to look at it as they're tapping into a cultural zeitgeist and using it as more symbolically. Sekizawa loved symbolism Mm -hmm. in his work. So I don't think that people like Nelson or Rolisica or anything like that are anti-American stand-ins. What did you think of that? So when I watched this, I wouldn't have got any of that just from watching it because I didn't know any of that cultural background that you just went through. Mm -hmm. So in watching this movie, I would not have been writing an essay about how this is anti-American and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's what academics do. (laughs) Yeah. So I definitely got the impression that Relisica was a Western nation, maybe a knockoff of America because they were all speaking English. So... I definitely got that, but the whole message with the, you know, the, the Shobajin. Yes. (laughs) The Shobajin being reunited with Mothra. And then the prayer at the end was for peace and happiness for all the people Mm -hmm. and everybody. Unity. Um, Unity. Yeah, exactly. I guess I I appreciate that it was an entertaining movie Mm -hmm. and I didn't have to walk away from it thinking to myself, oh, this movie was anti-American. I didn't think that at all. So, yeah, there you go. Those are my thoughts. Yeah. 
Yeah. Much appreciated because I'm glad I'm not the only one who watches these things and wants it to be anti-American or something like that. I'm just like, can't just, just no, don't ruin this for me. Okay? Yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't get that at all. I did not get it at all. No. Yeah. Yeah. So I know we're going a little long and I know we got to wrap mm-hmm. things up, but I do have a few fun little things that I want to show. And trust me, Jimmy, you will have plenty for your blog. <laughs> plenty, plenty. But just a, a few highlights here. So Tokyo Tower. Poor, poor Tokyo Tower. Yeah. <laughs> Tokyo Tower has become the favorite target of Kaiju. <laughs> oh, that poor, poor tower. It, it had yep. only just been built three years before this. So it was really new and novel. Oh, it was really fresh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that the model that they built for uh-huh. this movie... They tried to get the actual blueprints, but they wouldn't give it to them. Okay. So they made their own. Made their own so blueprints. It so it's not like an exact replica of Tokyo No, Tower. but they worked really hard to replicate it as best they could. Made their own okay, blueprint. I, and I thought were, that. I was like, oh, it's Tokyo Tower, but it's not quite the same as Tokyo Tower. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Yeah. And that is where Mothra cocoons herself. Funny thing, in the first draft of the script, Mothra would have cocooned herself at the diet building. But then they're like, Tokyo Tower is a new cool thing, so yeah. let's put it there. Mm-hmm. And we'll tap into a little bit of that King Kong energy because the Empire State Building was really new mm-hmm. at the time mm-hmm. when they made that movie. But then the funny thing is is that Mothra cocoons herself in 1992 in Godzilla Mothra The Battle for Earth. So they did it there. Mm-hmm. So there you go. But they were so proud of the blueprints they made themselves to make that model that they guarded them very very closely. Although there is a story that goes that they were smuggled out of Toho, taken to Daie, and used to make Gamera. What? <laughs> this is a movie in and of, in and of itself. Actually, <laughs> I just watched a movie. Actually, uh, Jimmy and Jessica and I, uh, we like having movie nights. And we just watched a movie about an unmade movie. Though it's along those lines. <laughs> Really? Nezara 1964, which I remember you were, you should remember, we talked about that a little bit when you were here for Gamma of the Brave. And I said the little girl with the stone. Oh, yeah. Sunflower right. was her name. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I said, mm-hmm. well, when she grew up, she got to be in Nezara 1964, which That's is right. about an unmade movie that would have had giant rats that eventually became Gamera. Well, I finally actually got to watch that. So I got to see her what? all grown up. Oh, very nice. She was one of the actresses that was supposed to be in the giant rat movie. But anyway, <laughs> tangents aside. So, yeah, they're really proud of that. But like I said, that thing, that poor tower, they keep rebuilding it, but it keeps getting <laughs> trashed by Kaiju. Godzilla, Gauss, Gamera. It's just like, guys, you might just want to give up at this at some point. <laughs> you keep building it and they keep coming back. It's like. Uh, it's like a very it's like a magnet yeah like, it's or a kaiju a, magnet yeah or a very unhappy version of field of dreams if you rebuild it they will come back <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep. oh, good lord i'm just waiting for it to see the headline tokyo tower knocked over again by a kaiju well, like well uh, not again not again you had a good run but uh okay Mm-hmm. Oh, you actually had to help out rebuilding that thing once? Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Another little chapter of your autobiography? All right. 
<sighs> Whatever you say, man. But the other thing that I just... This is just funny, Bex. I found out what Columbia... Because I guess Colum- this is what movie studios used to do back in the day. They actually sent brochures or something, pamphlets, whatever, out to theaters that would show their movies and gave them suggestions about how to promote the movie. Right. So, like I said, Columbia distributed this movie in the United States. So, want to hear about some of the great ideas that they were giving the theaters to promote the movie? Of course. Of course. One was to put up a weapons display that said, these weapons couldn't stop Mothra. (laughs) I mean, you already got the sensationalist. Oh, we didn't talk about that. Have you seen that? ridiculous sensationalistic poster that columbia made actually i just showed it to you right before we went on the air yes yes definitely not the movie that we watched no with the (laughs) uh, tiny bikini clad shobajin yes with the big headdresses and mothra mothra looks like a big frothing man-eating bug yes Mm-hmm. With like fangs coming out all over the place. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's nuts. It's yeah. so nuts. Is it that is about as? I, you want to talk about fake news? Okay, that's not Mothra. <laughs> right. That is about not Mothra as you could get. Now that's Batra, but we won't get into Batra. Okay. You know, our mutual friend Chris Cook seems to really like Batra. He has gone on okay. record as saying that Batra is "quote unquote" gangsta. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Batra's covered in horns and spikes and all kinds of things. Okay. Yeah. Probably yeah. belongs to the uh, Diptera order. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. If you've been doing your homework on moths, apparently. Well, I mean, they are beautiful and regal, so yeah. Why wouldn't anybody uh-huh. want to know things like that? Uh-huh. Anyway, so that was one way. And then another one was, they said, oh, if there are construction sites nearby, go put up signs that say Mothra was here. (laughs) See, that actually is kind of, that would have been interesting. That would have been fun. You know, like, what? Yeah. Yeah, there was also one that I didn't write down, but I remember uh, from, uh, because it was from the commentary on this movie by Rifle and Godachewski. And they said that this was their personal favorite. They made it sound like, and I don't know if this was exactly what it was meant, but it made it sound like that they said, go buy toxic waste to put it on display and say that oh, this gosh. made Mothra or something. I think they might be misinterpreting, but my personal favorite. Wow. Yeah. But my personal favorite, good grief. They said to send two girls in spacesuits out into the neighborhoods saying, Mothra, the world's greatest love story. Wow. <laughs> Why spacesuits? Because it's a sci-fi movie. <laughs> but we don't have spacesuits at all in this movie. <laughs> I, it, well, let's be honest. If a couple of girls it walked through your neighborhood in spacesuits, I think I, you'd pay attention. I mean, yeah, and I probably would go see the movie. But then I would be very, very disconcerted. Like, did I see the wrong movie? Was <laughs> <laughs> well, first you see, first you see. Well, here's the funny. First you see the two girls in the spacesuits saying "Mothra: The World's Greatest Love Story." Then you see the right. poster for the movie, and you probably think, "Love story." Well, more like 
I think this moth's going to eat those girls. (laughs) (laughs) I am Mothra, and I'm going to find the girls and eat them. (laughs) (laughs) Like they're trying to keep the girls away from Mothra because Mothra wants to eat them. Now, that would be an interesting (laughs) reversal Mm -hmm. of this story where Mm -hmm. the girls want to be kidnapped because they're going to be eaten by Mothra when the egg hatches. And the Mothra's like, I must have my snack. And then comes to Japan (laughs) to eat them. That would be interesting. That actually would be brilliant. I'm claiming that story right now. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm like, I think you got something there. (laughs) I'm claiming it right now. Reversal of Mothra TM. Uh Uh That's for you, Chris Cook, because TM... Listen to Henshin you'll Men. To, you'll have to you'll have to name it like Throma. Throma. <laughs> I'll just do an anagram of Mothra. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know, uh-huh. it's the funny thing. The Japanese word for moth is mo, just mo. So her Japanese okay. say mosura, they have to add extra syllables ah, okay. to make it more interesting. And here's the funny thing. The suffix ra. R-A, mm-hmm. if, uh, when you uh, Saxonize it or Anglicanize it, I'm probably getting those linguistic terms completely wrong. Send me feedback, Kiyoe, and tell me I'm wrong. But mm-hmm. that is put at the na- ends of names for kaiju just to denote big and monstrous. But oh, like Godzilla, okay. we don't see it anymore. But his Japanese name, Gojira, you still uh-huh. hear it. But then you look Bro. at a bunch of other mm-hmm. monsters and names, and they still have it. Mothra, Gamera, mm-hmm. Ghidorah. Hmm. You see it all over the place. and But okay. that suffix is basically the same as Zilla in English. So technically, Mothra should be called Mothzilla. Hmm. <laughs> little, all right. A little less interesting, I have to say. But anyway. <laughs> so anyway, so you see the girls in the spacesuits. And then, yeah, you see the poster. You're like, what am I getting myself into? And then you watch yeah. the movie. You're like, this is all kinds of false is- advertising. Yeah, this is not correct. Yeah. Not correct. Question becomes, do you go ask for your money back at that point? Yeah, really. Of course, at the time, there wasn't like the internet for people to (laughs) disseminate information and like pick apart movies before they've even seen the movie. (laughs) No, that is true. Oh, good point, Jimmy. (laughs) Watch out, Bex. Maybe I'll hire a couple of girls to go through your neighborhood wearing spacesuits. (laughs) Well... I'll be sure to take a picture. (laughs) Unlike Machiko. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll make sure it's not Halloween. So you don't have that excuse. (laughs) Seriously, Jimmy, you dated two astronaut girls when you were younger? You cad. (laughs) At the same time? See, that's why I called him a cad. All right. Good Lord, man. Good <laughs> Lord. Uh, apparently, you NASA people get a little bit wild on the weekends. <laughs> Good grief. But, yeah. so <laughs> Oh, how they used to promote movies back in the day, right? Right. Yeah. Like I said, I did an overabundance of research. There's a whole bunch I could go into. For all kinds of crazy interpretations and oh i do want to bring this one up this is funny i may have to submit this to you know, well i can't say the board necessarily but to cameron winter our new boss and tell him to start serving this on the island 
sure okay. somebody at Toho still has the recipes, but when they were making this movie in the Toho cafeteria, they would serve quote unquote Mothra larva bread rolls and mm. Mothra eggs. Hmm. Interesting. I don't recommend actually trying to eat Mothra's real eggs. That will end very badly for you. Yeah, no. No, that wouldn't be a good idea. I mean, watch the next movie that she was in. Mothra versus Godzilla wasn't the girl she was trying to save. It was her egg. She wasn't happy. Yeah. Never come between Mama Mothra and her babies. And her egg. Got it. Got it. Duly noted. Mm-hmm. Did we want to talk about the natives? Yes, that is true. We've kind of been part in the pun dancing, dancing around. around it. <sighs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so yes. we have Japanese actors wearing dark makeup yep. to look Polynesian. Some people yep. would call this blackface. Funny thing is, is I think you laughed when the when they came on screen. <laughs> I couldn't help it. It just came out. I just saw it and I just started laughing. And I'm sorry if I offend anybody by that. <laughs> it made me laugh. Oh, so let me tell you, there has been talk about so-called blackface in uh, Godzilla film, well, kaiju films, in the last couple of years. And that's a controversy I'm not touching. But <laughs> you have to understand, one, the times, two, for the Japanese, it doesn't have the weight that right, we have with, sure. you know, with Americans. I mean, it, I I know you are the redeemed otaku, but I know you're not like a Dragon Ball Z fan, mm-hmm. but you probably know about Mr. I've Popo, seen it. right? I've seen it, yep. Mm-hmm. yep. And how Mr. Yep, Popo yep. actually got censored in a few yep. places because mm-hmm. it yep. it's not just blackface. It's the actual performance makeup. Well, perhaps, let's just pose this. Perhaps that was the natives, okay, they're living on this island that has been bombarded with radioactivity and they've found some sort of juice that they make that helps them kind of live with the radioactivity, right? Let's just posit the idea that they actually have to cover themselves with mud to protect themselves from the disgusting creatures and insects like that belong in the Deptera and the Hymenoptera order of insects. Or the vampire um, plants. Yes, exactly. So perhaps that's, that is why they look the way they do is because they cover themselves with mud. Oh, you're no prizing this. How about I, that? I like that. And then maybe mm-hmm. they changed how they do things because they don't do this again later. When they come back, well, there's none of that. Okay. Well, maybe they eradicated the insects and vampire yeah. plants off the island. So yeah. They, yeah they, they did, so Problem they didn't solved. need to do the mud anymore. Huh. They extincted all of them. Yeah. Oh, I, I, Jimmy's impressed. He, 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 uh, okay. yeah, Thank you very much. Well, uh, I'll talk with the scientists about that. Well, and also, oh, well, looky there. Looky there. Took you long enough. Hey, look. Speaking, uh, we, we were talking about her earlier. There's, uh, there's my oh. pseudo sister, the oh. new director of tourism. She had to go Hi. pick up the twins, and uh, oh, so yes. you know, the they're twins. here now because they knew I was going to be talking about Mothra. So, they yeah, brought, she brought the twins. How convenient! Yeah, <laughs> that, what, what, what was that? 
excuse me. I'm sorry. Um, sorry. The yeah, altitude again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You might want to have that looked at. I'm just saying we have oh, an well, infirmary yeah. here. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll ask them about that. See if the, you know, there's some merit to that. But in terms of the filmmaking here, which by the way, I, the dance numbers in this are crazy. This is one of the first movies I watched where I'm like, did Honda secretly want to make a musical? <laughs> yeah. because I feel like he wants to make a musical because this was at a time where the thinking was you put everything into your movie but hey people have this wide range of experiences we'll have music and dance and drama yeah, and comedy yeah. and monsters and, and action and yep. action and you know all all of this but and I'm telling you out of all the kaiju on the island mm-hmm. I, I mean there's been an attempt an attempt at making a King Kong musical? No. I think Mothra would be great as a musical. Yes, I can see that. Absolutely. That would be it, fan-freaking-tastic. I'm just putting yes. that out there right yes. now. Yes, but I agree with that 100%. Yes, yes. But my thinking is with this is these natives are supposed to be Polynesian, Early 60s in Japan, you're not going to find that many Polynesian actors, let alone people, who can mm-hmm. be in this, let alone uh, possibly. You know, there's all these, like, this pile of qualifications you get upon there. They're like, oh, you have to be able to dance? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they were having to get people from local dance studios or from Toho's troupe of dancers. So it's like all these qualifications. You're going to be a little hard-pressed to find that many people who can do sure. this. Japan is not the United States where they've got everybody, you know, people from all kinds of walks of life. So I like to think that it was done more for practical reasons and for the sake of accuracy. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there was any ill will or racism or anything like that meant at all in this right. whole thing. That's right. my personal take on it because it's difficult for me to see that. But like I said, it doesn't have the cultural weight that it has for us Americans. Yeah. It's not like yeah. you know, going back to the first episode of the new season, Lost World 1925. That literally has a white guy in makeup pretending to be a black guy. Mm-hmm. That we can talk about that was based in racism because it was at a time where right. nobody wanted to hire black actors or right, anything, right. which is why the original Kong was revolutionary because they went and actually hired black actors, in fact, hmm. uh, to play the natives. In fact, they let the chief of the natives be a very strong and masculine and manly character. They did not present him as negative. Yeah, he was shown as to, to be ignorant because mm-hmm. these are primitives, but he wasn't portrayed as a weak character. Yeah, sure. that was one of the things that was revolution. And he was in the credits. Like, if you look at the credits, they credit he got, that he got guy credit him. Yeah. in there. A lot of times, even if they had black actors or foreign actors, they wouldn't credit yeah. them. Like, there's a huh. Chinese cook named Charlie in the original King Kong, and they don't credit that actor. They do, weirdly hmm. enough, in the sequel, in Son of Kong, they credit him, but they don't in that first movie. So, The Lost World is a product of its time, And yes, that was racially motivated, but you have to deal with it. That's the thing. There are other movies that have been banned in Japan, like Half Human. I've talked about Half Human on this show. Yeah. For things related to perceived, at least perceived racism. They've been banned forever. And God forbid that they do this with such a delightful movie like this. I really hope that Mothra does not get locked away. Oh, yeah. For things like this. 
Yeah. Hmm. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I guess we will. In which case, like I said, we've been running a little long. Thank you for sticking around, but you know we got to do some. My house- pleasure. Yeah, we have to do some housekeeping now, especially now that Jessica and the twins are here. Yep. Yep. All right. So uh, I'm saving listener feedback for the next episode. So Bex, guess what? <gasps> the patron shout out. Go show Travis Alexander, Michael Hamilton, Danny Demena, Eli Harris, Chris Cook, Damon Noise, Eric Anderson, Ted Williams. Hey, Bex, Bex, that's you. Oh, oh, Bex. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. Yeah, seriously, you need to have that looked at. And also, third person? Hmm, someone's very just, sure just of herself. A, yeah, there you go. Keep, yeah. keep going, keep going. Yeah. Anyway, and then finally, Tofu Fury. Oh my gosh, Bex, do you not feel like a powerful anime character now? I do. So powerful. Uh, yes. Yes. With all the powers. All, all, the, all the power? All the power. The power. Are, are there any magical girls who are really screamy like that? Like DBZ uh, characters? If there are, I think I've probably blanked them out of my mind. Oh, of course. <laughs> or it's the altitude again, right? There is one that's really ganky, and it's technically not a magical girl genre. It's more like Harry Potter magic. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't really count that as the magical girl genre because she doesn't do like any sort of transformation. She doesn't have all the tropes or anything. But the show Little Witch Academia, uh. Uh, the main character, Akko? Ak- is her name Akko? I can't remember. She's very ganky and very energetic. So, yeah. well, what um, does ganky? What does ganky mean? Is that a, uh, that's an anime thing? Yeah, just like super energetic and upbeat and just hyper. Ah, yeah. gotcha, mm-hmm. gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sure, Jimmy. I'm ganky too. Apparently. <laughs> yes. Yes. You would fit the description of ganky. Yeah. Uh, Oh, and Jessica agrees too. (laughs) Good Lord. And now with that out of the way, one last thing that I have to do before we start wrapping things up is I need to let everybody know what episodes we have coming up. So our theme for this year for season three, Amerikaiju, continues in our next episode when we talk about them. That's the actual title. It's in all caps with an exclamation point. So that's how well, you, you have to say, say it. it. Yeah. Yeah. From 1954, <laughs> it's about giant ants. I know that sounds super B-movie, but I promise you it's better than that. It is not a B-movie. Ants belong <laughs> in the diptera order. They're disgusting. Uh, sure. Sure. And I will be joined by... No, I'm sorry. No. Ants belong in Hymenoptera. Oh. Me... It's a good thing you caught that before Jimmy did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, I will be joined by my friend and friend of the podcast, John LeMay, 
And it's only appropriate because he's from New Mexico, which is where the movie takes place. And I don't think I've had a single episode where I didn't cite John at least once. (laughs) I have been buying all of John's books and they get referenced in every single episode, I think. Basically every episode. (laughs) Because he is a gentleman and a scholar. (laughs) For sure. Yes. A true one. And then we get to our first Patreon-sponsored episode. Yes, MIFV Max member and my co-host on the Power Trip, A Journey Through the Power Rangers franchise, Michael Hamilton, is stopping by to do a spotlight episode as a little bit of a tie-in with the Power Trip on the epic Mighty Morphin Power Rangers five-parter, Green with Evil, which introduced all of us to Tommy Oliver, the Green Ranger. Ooh, interesting. Yes, yes. And at some point, I need to get Mr. Oliver on the island. I'm, uh, I'll am i be talking with our new head of PR about that. That's a proposal I'm going to be sending to him. Yeah, Mr. Darius R. Gold. I'll be suggesting that to him as a future guest acquisition because spoiler warning there's more power rangers coming later so (laughs) anyway that is what we have coming up so yes godzilla redux will be taking a little bit of a break but i gotta keep those patrons happy i mean you're a patron as well so i gotta keep you happy too Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, that's right if you ever feel like getting crazy and sponsoring an episode I have one more slot that needs filled before the end of the year. So I was going to say, he's being kind of nice to you and having you do the Power Rangers. Is that a veiled threat? (laughs) (laughs) Take it how you like. Uh Uh-huh. You and I have had talks and you scare me a little bit. So with that... No episode of uh, the Monster Island Film Vault is complete without shameless self-promotion. I'm going to do a little bit for myself really quick, which is just to let everybody know to listen to my spinoff podcast, Henshin Men, a podcast about the appreciation of Japanese superheroes and their high-flying and high-kicking adventures, which I co-host with Travis Alexander. And also, as I've already mentioned, The Power Trip, which I co-host with Michael Hamilton, both of which are proud members of the Kaiju Ramen Podcast Network. All right, got that out of the way. Your turn, Bex. All right. Well, you can check out Redeemed Otaku on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, where on YouTube we're doing card openings such as Pokemon and Magic the Gathering. So if you like that kind of stuff, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you look and... back on December, there was all it was Pokemon and Cheese. Yeah, yeah, we did an advent calendar. Well, we did two advent calendars. Um, so that was a lot of fun to uh, indulge in some exotic cheeses. <laughs> <laughs> One of which was not edible. No, we had a moldy cheese, but... Moldy you know, cheese? It is what an it is. An underdone turnip. <laughs> if anyone gets that literary reference, you are my new best nope. friend. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so Vex is not my new best friend. Nope, sorry. And neither are you, Jimmy. Oh, poor Jimmy.
Anyway, I am eagerly anticipating the second coming of Redeemed yes. Otaku. Yes, we've been on a bit of a hiatus, but we will be back very soon. Yeah. Well, you have a husband and other things that you need to attend to. Yes, yes. So, life. Life finds a way. Yeah, life uh, finds a way. Also foreshadowing <laughs> for later in the season. Because guess who's coming back for a certain dinosaur movie? Okay, that's enough of that. Keep that up. You're either going to summon Mothra or a T-Rex. I'm not sure which one. Yeah, this is getting broadcast out. Sometimes the uh, Jimmy's weird and puts it out, uh, puts it on all the big speakers that are out throughout the island to monitor the kaiju. And you know, you know sometimes they li- right, they uh, right. they listen to it and they get into it. So be careful. All right. Be careful there. <laughs> <laughs> is that all you got for us today? The the YouTube That's and the it. podcast. All right, yep. we'll keep it That's simple. It. All right, and with that, uh, really, Jimmy. There's, what's going on? Oh, there's someone on the phone? Do they want to talk right now? Oh, you think it should be off the air? Oh, okay. Well, we'll take care of that off the air. That's a little interesting. All right. A little unusual. It's not Dr. Dorif, is it? Oh, praise Jesus, it's not. <laughs> oh, that's good to know. But in light of that, Jimmy, cue credits. Thank you for listening to The Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nate Marchand. If you want to join the discussion and be heard on the show, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at feedback at monsterislandfilmvault.com. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Monster Island Film Vault and on Twitter, where our handle is at TheMonsterIsla1. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, and TikTok. Follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter at NASA Jimmy and our many other colorful characters using the links in the show notes. The podcast logo was created by Tyler Souls from TylerDrawsComics.com. Our theme song is Wanderer on the Offensive, live edit by B33J, Serax, Juan Madrano, and Nonsensical Lexus, which is a remix of Counterattack, Battle with the Colossus, and the Opened Way, Battle with the Colossus by Koatani from the video game Shadow of the Colossus. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. You can also support us by joining MIFV Max on Patreon. The Monster Island Film Vault is a Moonlighting Ninjas media production. Sayonara! Now that we're done, I'm going to get going. Jessica, the twins, and I are going to have a, you know, girls' day out on the island. That's fine. Okay, Jimmy, pass that call through my laptop. Hey, Nate. I'm so sorry I'm late. I got held up at the airport in Relisica. Some weird woman bumped into me and swiped my Sailor Moon bag. It had my plane ticket, my hairbrush, my Pokemon cards, everything. So I had to catch a different flight to get to Japan and just now got to the island. Uh, 
I hope your your bosses don't mind me delaying the broadcast on Mothra. Are you there, Nate? Uh, yeah. It's it's fine. Take your time. We'll talk when you get here. If that's Bex, then who are you? <laughs> Your pseudo-sister did tell me to punch you in the face, after all. Good thing I have a strong jaw from all my pontificating. By the way, you asked for this. Ow! I cut my knuckle on your teeth! Mmm. Your blood is almost as delicious as Bex's hair. You sick skank! My master calls me Peppermoth. Get her, Jimmy! <coughs> Smoke bomb marbles! <coughs> <coughs> Pathetic maggots! The Shobajin belong to my master, and through them, we will finally be one with our goddess, Mosura. Jimmy! Oh no! Does he have a pulse? Still alive. Good. What the heck happened, Baka? I heard Bexy laugh like Naga, the serpent, and then there was gas, and, and I hid in the green room to avoid the fumes? Where are the Shobajin? They passed out, and I think I saw Bexy stuff them into her Sailor Moon purse? That wench is an imposter! The real Bex just called me on the phone! <gasps> she must be a shapeshifter. How do you know that? You have a better explanation for how she could perfectly imitate my bestie? Hey, did somebody say shapeshifter? Who are you? Oh, don't mind me, Sonny. I'm just the janitor. Did you see anyone leave this room? Well, yes. Uh, yes, it did. A pretty young lady came out and ran up the stairs and led to the roof. Don't know what she's doing up there. Uh, reminds me of the time that. Come I on, Jess. We need to catch her. Sir, call security. Oh yes, sir. I'm on it. Let me just grab my arcade clip phone here. Peppermoth, Fakebex, whoever is calling for help on a cell phone. She must know Captain Gordon's security team will be here in a few minutes. Let me at her! All right, Crystal Lady, do your thing. Okay. I'm just gonna need a minute. Oh, yeah. The bad gal isn't gonna stand there and let you do your overcomplicated transformation sequence. <sighs> Fine. I'll handle this. <gasps> Nani? By doing what? What I do best. Talk. Hey, Pepper Wench! How dare you insult one of my master's chosen? Mind explaining how you do your little trick? If you'd really like to know, I'll show you. With this little snack I have here in my pocket. Is that an actual moth? 
Ew. Such delicious DNA. Eat a moth. Cover your body with cookies and cream ice cream and grow moth wings. Not bad. <laughs> bye bye, Nate. Jess, hurry! With Mothra's blessing, I. She has wings? I want wings. Focus, Jess! Right! Lightning! Wait, no! Laser! Don't shoot her out of the sky when she's holding the twins! Oh, well, then it's a good thing she cushioned them with her body when she hit the ground. I swear, Jess, if- Nate, look out! Ugh, back off! I made her angry. Clearly. She's coming back! Get the twins! Got it! Hey, bug lady! You scratched my costume. Come at me, sister! Oh, I'll kill you, heathen! Luminous Crystal Moth Shield! Claws? Are you a cat now? Thank God the twins are fine! Mothwoman just made her fist the size of a beach ball. <clears throat> she broke the shield with one punch. And now she's making spears with her hair? No! <laughs> now, little lava lady, die! Jessica! Oh no. Two Bacchus? I must have hit my head harder than I thought. She used my blood! That's the imposter! Dad damn it! Eeny meeny miny mo. Who do I blast? That doesn't rhyme! Shut up! Ugh. Lightning! Wait! Let, let me, me tell you something only I would know! Blazer! How? How did you know she was Peppermoth? Woman's intuition. You guessed, didn't you? Well, yeah, maybe. One of these days, Jess, I swear. The heck is this? It's a video being broadcast on the island's internal network. From who? Let's see. Hello, people of Monster Island. I... And Mott Priester Herzog Jerry Knoxwalter of the Church of Motrianity. By now you have realized that the tiny beauties are returning to Rolisica, and soon Mossera will too. Not to destroy the motherland again, but to meet us, her true followers, in blissful oneness. The tiny beauties will lead her here and serve as a conduit to the goddess. We, the acolytes of the Queen of the Monsters, will be transformed, shedding the cocoons of our mortal bodies, 
so that our souls may merge into Mosara's divine essence. Only in Mosara is there eternal paradise. Only the true believers are worthy. All those who oppose the Church of Mothrianity will face our wrath. Join us if thou dost wish to become thy true selves as a part of the Queen. Come, Luna, make me look better with your sparkles. Yes, Master. Are you kidding me? The Church of Mothrianity is real? I thought that was something Belvira made up when she messed with Bexy's head. If only we could be so lucky. So, does this mean I have an arch nemesis? I feel like a real superheroine now. Jessica, you're... It's Gary. Oh, really? Uh, hello, Gary. Did you hear the Church of Mothrianity's message? It was hard to miss when Crystal Lady saved me from their monster. <laughs> what happened? I'll explain later. Well, there's something I need to tell you, but please keep it between us. Maybe he... What's that? The church's leader in that video, he's my twin brother. Say what?